This podcast is not intended to be an investigative report, and all opinions stated herein are opinions strictly from the hosts and are not affiliated with any law enforcement entity. This is a true crime podcast and may contain information that may be disturbing to some listeners. Audience discretion is advised. Welcome to Vintage Homicide, a true crime podcast being presented to you by two forensic scientists with a passion for the vintage lifestyle. We are your hosts, Miss Ruby Wild and Miss Mayday. We will bring you historic murders with special insight into the era and the forensics involved to look back at what crime solving may have been like. This podcast is benefiting the 501c3 Bombshell Betty's Calendar for Charity, which is a nonprofit whose mission is to raise support and awareness for veterans' charities through community involvement, photography, and pinups. Hello again. This is part two. Debunking the Myth of the Casket Girls. But before we dive into the continuation of this episode, just a few announcements. Miss Ruby Wilde is still away on an exciting new journey and a pseudo-secret mission, which will be announced soon. And as you know, I'm a forensic scientist, and I recently had the opportunity to share my experience as a forensic scientist at the Girls' Academic Leadership Academy Young Women's Career Conference. Gala, as this school is known, is the only girls' STEM college preparatory middle and high school in California, and they're right in the heart of Los Angeles. I wish I had a school like this when I was growing up. Gala is a public school, so any donations help provide their amazing programs. If you want to learn how you can support the next generation of female STEM scholars, check out fogala.org. That's Friends of Gala, fogala.org. Now we're picking up with the strange tale of how Les Filles à la Cassette became known as the Casket Girls. In 1728, when the ship arrived in New Orleans with 88 eligible young women with their wooden chests or cassettes, the Frenchmen all muttered, Pâle, to themselves, as they spotted the women meant to become their brides. So very pale were the girls that their skin reddened and blistered within moments of enduring the hot subtropical sun. Did the French colonists once again think that Bionville had brought them prostitutes as wives? It's perfectly plausible, especially since similar rumors had followed each shipment of young women to the New World in the prior 60-some-odd years. However, legend would ultimately separate these fille la cassette, or daughters of the cassette, distinctively apart from the fille du roi who had come before them to populate New France. But here's what we know. We know that the women of colonial Louisiana endured difficult lives as they dealt with the dangers of the frontier, scarce supplies, the hostile environment, and the hard physical labor that came with transforming the vast wilderness into a home. Even the most robust women succumbed to the diseases that flourished in Louisiana Territory's climate. However, the women who eventually came to Louisiana influenced the calling not only in terms of their impact on population growth, but in their contributions to the new developing society and their ability to assimilate and transfer cultural patterns that are still evident today along the Gulf Coast. The first group of young ladies, some from orphanages, others from fine families, arrived in Mobile in 1704. A second group arrived in Biloxi in 1719. And a third group, the Fille à la Cassette, arrived in New Orleans in 1728. Unlike other women who were forcibly transported to the territory, many of whom had been imprisoned for petty crimes, the Fila la Cassette were to be virgins. 
In New Orleans, the girls were taken to the Ursuline convent, where they were protected and educated until they were married. This new group of girls, more acceptable in quality, did indeed make successful marriages in their initial years in the French colony. Today, along the Gulf Coast area from Florida to the state of Texas, there are many families that are descendants of the numerous Pelican girls and Casket girls. These marriages set the stage for many descendants that in later years populated the southern Gulf Coast, leaving it with a rich French heritage that still endures today. Many of these descendants still reside heavily in the states of Louisiana, Mississippi, and Alabama. But over the generations, the legend of these casket girls became more and more mysterious and macabre. Eventually, the lines between truth and myth have become blurred. As they stepped onto shore in New Orleans, people were surprised at their pale, otherworldly complexions. Immediately, the girls were cloistered away with the Ursuline nuns and confined to the third-floor attic of the convict. And with their coffin-like wooden boxes containing all their possessions, which were stashed at the foot of their beds. Some legends say some of the girls were found to be so strange-looking that they could not find husbands at all, and thus the unfortunate women fell under the care and protection of the Ursuline nuns living in the Ursuline convent on Charter Street. At some point, the legend says that the nuns sealed off the third floor, shuttering the windows, supposedly to protect the virtue of the young women in their care. But then, the hand mirrors that the girls brought with them mysteriously vanished. Neighbors fell ill. Crops failed. I know what you are. Say it. Out loud. Say it. Vampire. Whispers began that the vampire pale casket girls had brought evil with them in their cassettes from the old country. Eventually, the nuns threw the casket girls out and closed up the third floor attic forever. Was it sealed off from the outside world to protect New Orleans and to keep what was lurking inside from getting out? It's hard to say why the vampire myth has stuck around for so long and who exactly started it. Perhaps Anne Rice's novel sparked the whole thing. Or is it simply that the legend involving the undead is retold and retold again because tourists love to hear it? Fact is that the current old Ursuline convent at Charter Street in Ursuline Nave was completed in 1752. The timeline just simply doesn't add up, because this building didn't exist until 24 years after the first casket girl arrived in 1728. So what elements from this story support the vampire legends? As we have no record of any of the New Orleanians thinking that the young women who arrived in 1728 were actually vampires. Perhaps it was a matter of their pale skin. The fact that the women were pale was completely understandable, After all, they had been stuck inside a ship for six or more months, probably with little to no sun, as they had been put below decks, as was proper for young, virtuous women. Was it a matter of perspective? Comparatively, the colonists and the French Creoles living in New Orleans would have been quite tan. Situated near the Gulf as it is, New Orleans is a subtropical climate. In comparison to the sun-kissed skin of the colonists, no doubt the Cassock girls would have looked nearly transparent. And what of their wooden chests? and the meaning of cassette. As mentioned in part one of this episode, the trunks were used to transport their belongings to the Louisiana colony. At nine and a half inches high, 22 inches long, and 10 inches wide, these trunks were relatively small and only contained a trousseau, or French term for small bundle, which was their dowry and wardrobe. The word cassette is a middle French word, 
but refers to a small box for jewels or a chest. The casket girls were known to have brought these cassettes with them, but they literally were meant for storage, luggage, unlikely even in the shape of a casket or coffin at all. The word casket was not widely used until the mid-19th century to refer to burials or the dead. The origins of casket are found in French. From the 1400s through the 1700s, it referred to a small ornamented box for jewels. In the mid-1800s, the Americans tweaked the word a bit, and undertakers began using the word casket instead of coffin. By the 1900s, the term casket in relation to a burial object was widespread in North America. The word casket was popularized because it appears to have more elegance. Basically, the body is placed into an ornamented box for jewels. Therefore, the body is also a valuable object. So this is how the word cassette changes and eventually becomes casket. So, la fila la cassette become the casket girls. Now, what about the secrets surrounding the third floor of the convent? As it turns out, the windows were sealed not to keep the virtue in, but to keep the evil out. Many believe the flying vampires wanted to return to their caskets on the convent's third floor, which is why the windows were permanently sealed with 800 screws made of silver that had been blessed in Rome by the Pope himself. It's fun to imagine a Pope, albeit which Pope we don't even know, blessing the nails to keep the vampires locked inside, or maybe outside of the attic space. But in reality, those louvered windows are hurricane shutters installed relatively recently in the last few decades. As photographic proof, a 1910 photograph of the Ursuline convent building shows the windows without exterior shutters. But even still, legends will continue. Allegedly, Pope John Paul II even re-blessed the anti-vampire screws during his visit in 1987. If you look up to the third floor today, you can see that the windows are still shuttered. On record, from the archivist at the Archdiocese of New Orleans, there is nothing on the third floor of the old Ursuline convent besides archival records and other storage items. So, not as thrilling as vampires or abandoned caskets for the undead, but there you have it. Now for some more fun facts about the Ursuline sisters. The Ursulines founded a school almost immediately after their arrival in 1727, which is where many of the casket girls supposedly attended until they were married. The city built the order's first convent in 1734. The building was replaced by the existing convent in 1751. The old Ursuline convent is the oldest building in the Mississippi Valley. It was completed in 1752, and it is the oldest surviving example of the French colonial period in the United States. It even survived the fire in 1788 because of its distance from the source of the fire, which began closer to Canal Street. The city built the convent close to Fort St. Charles on the eastern downriver side of the Vieux Car. To this very day, the Order of St. Ursula continued their mission of educating women in New Orleans. However, the old Ursuline's convent at 1100 Charter Street operates as a museum and documents 300 years of Catholicism in New Orleans. Often referred to as the Archbishop Antoine Blanc Memorial Complex, the old Ursuline convent also houses the archives for the archdiocese. The building is known as the treasure of the archdiocese. Tours began at the Charter Street Gatehouse and continue through the beautifully manicured formal garden. 
Once inside the main building, the first thing to catch the visitor's eye is the original handcrafted cypress staircase. The main lodge is filled with dozens of old paintings of past archbishops, bishops, religious statues, and bronze busts. Smaller rooms remind the visitors of the building's many functions over the years. It was a convent, an orphanage, a makeshift hospital, and later a residence hall for local bishops. Most of the structures were restored and repaired in the 1970s during a multi-million dollar restoration. Behind the main building, there is a peaceful walled courtyard. Here you will find statues that pay homage to the founding Ursuline sisters, St. Francis Xavier Cabrini and the father, Francis Xavier Silos. This area is ideal for prayer and reflection. I hope you enjoyed this little exploration of the history of Nouvelle-Orléans, and in the spirit of Mardi Gras, laissez-les bon temps rouler. Vintage Homicide is produced by J.H. Brawl. Additional editing and theme music produced by Matt Beck. A special thanks to Bonnie Navarro Photography and Bombshell Betty's Calendar. Please visit bombshellbettyscalendars.com for more information. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Vintage Homicide Podcast. Please subscribe wherever you prefer to download your podcasts and join us next time for more tantalizing tales of murder and mystery.